Good morning, everybody. Today's reading is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1011, page 1011. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of God. Morning again, church. We have flowers up here today that were placed by Chuck Pals in honor of his late wife, Joy. This would have been their 30th wedding anniversary. Chuck, we love you, brother. We're praying for you. We know that Joy is with her Savior. Church, last week we kicked off our study in the book of James. Real wisdom, real faith. And last week we started in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, count it all joy, My brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, trials of various kinds, can I get an amen? Did anybody face a trial of a various kind this week? Yes, (laughs) yes. Big, small, heavy, light, trials of various kinds. Woo! It's hard to be human, isn't it? Not only do we have all these trials kind of outside of us, physical trials, bodily trials, circumstantial things, but unlike the animals, we process it all, don't we? We take it all inside. If if, if a tree gets struck by lightning, it it doesn't say, what did I do wrong? Is there a God? Right? If an animal is is hurt or sees one of its other animal friends hurt, it doesn't start thinking about the meaning of life. It doesn't start questioning all of its life decisions and making plans for how to avoid that in the future. But we do. We do, don't we? Most of our suffering is actually experienced inside of us, isn't it? The majority of suffering is because of how we process suffering. The same exact thing can happen to two different people, and one of them can be like, eh. And the other person is devastated, rocked to the core, because of how they think about it, because of how they've processed it. So how do you respond to trials? What is your perspective in suffering? Last week we saw that the way we get through it, the way that we can count it as joy is by looking forward. We know, we know that the testing of our faith will produce steadfastness, which will then produce perfection, completion, and the lacking of nothing. And so we look forward. We don't look forward to the end of the trial. That's the common worldly way to get through a trial is, well, this too shall pass. 
That's not what James is teaching. James is saying we look forward to what the trial will produce on the inside of us. And that allows us to count the trial as joy. But that requires wisdom. And so that's the next verse. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, James isn't starting a new thought. He's continuing the same thought. He's using the same language, lacks. You will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He's not starting a new thought. He's telling us, if you want to be able to count trials as joy, if you want to be able to see what God is doing in your life, you are going to need wisdom to do that. That's what you need. That's the number one thing you need is wisdom. We need wisdom in order to be complete and lacking in nothing. So number one, what is real wisdom? Let's answer this question to start. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, the main thing we need in our trials is wisdom, not a solution, not an escape hatch, wisdom. Do you have it? Do you lack it? And listen, here's the, here's the twist. If you want wisdom, the very first thing you have to do is admit that you are not wise. The first step in being wise is to admit that you are not wise. I need wisdom. It's all, you almost wonder if James is tongue-in-cheek here. If any of you lacks wisdom, wink, wink, we all lack wisdom, don't we? If I said... Who amongst us needs some wisdom today? Every hand should go up, right? If not, you're a liar. You need it. I need it. We need wisdom. In Proverbs, it it warns about being a fool, doesn't it? You can be an ignorant fool. You can be a silly fool. You can be an angry fool. Or you can be a wicked fool. All of us have a tendency to be one of those kinds of fools. We need wisdom. In James chapter 4, he's going to say, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. First step is, I got to be humble. I got to say, I need wisdom. But then we have to ask the question, what is wisdom? What is God's wisdom? Is it merely knowledge? Well, we know the answer to that. No, wisdom is far more than knowledge, isn't it? You can know a lot of things and be a fool still, right? Some of the smartest people on our planet are fools because they have forsaken God. In Genesis, it tells us that humanity began to engineer bricks. They learned how to make bricks and they began to build a tower to God. Do you remember that story? We call it the Tower of Babel. Were those people smart? Did they have knowledge? Yeah. Were they wise? No, they were not wise. They were fools. Knowledge doesn't solve our internal problems, does it? In fact, it might just kind of puff us up and make the internal problem worse. That's Ecclesiastes, by the way. Be careful about just gaining a bunch of knowledge. So is wisdom, if it's not knowledge, is it decision-making? That's how a lot of Christians interpret the word wisdom. How do I make a decision? God, show me what to do, door A or door B. What do I do? But that's not really what the Bible means when it says wisdom. Is, is wisdom special revelation? 
Is it, is it God handwriting on the wall or, uh, or, or putting something in the sky for me to see? Is it God making my fleece wet one day and dry the next? Is that what we're looking for? Are we looking for special revelation from God when we say, get wisdom? Or is God's revelation closed? Is it full and complete in the Word, written Word, and in the living Word, Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible says it is complete, right? There is, there is no more special revelation from God. Modern wisdom says, ask this question, how do I conform my reality to my soul? Modern wisdom, the wisdom of today, says, how do I conform my reality to my soul? So this is what we hear. We've talked about this a lot. This is what we hear when we hear people say, my truth, what is your truth? Well, my soul says this, and so now I'm going to make everything around me conform to my truth right? Or, listen, are, are you just someone who likes to control everything in your life? I really want my kids to get into the, that high school with that program. That's what my soul wants. And so it's okay if I help them do their homework in the eighth grade so that they can get into the high school program, right? I'm going to conform my reality to my soul, but is that wisdom? Is that the wisdom of God? Does that actually help anybody? Does that help your child? Or the prosperity gospel? I really want to have success at work, and so if I pray and believe, God will give that to me. God will change my reality to match my soul, to match what I want. But God's wisdom, real wisdom, says, how do I conform my soul to the reality that's around me? What is actually happening in my world? What is, what is, who is God? What is He actually like? What is the truth? We just sang that. Truth as wisdom. True wisdom says, how do I conform my soul to my reality? How do I accept my reality? So like um, a few months ago, we studied the book of Habakkuk. Do you guys remember that? And his reality was a mess. The bad guys were coming and he was questioning God. God did not change his reality, did he? Those Babylonians still came. And do you remember how the book ends? It ends with, you know what, God, if there's no vines in my vineyard, and there's no wheat in my field, and there's no flocks in my pasture, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will conform my soul to the reality around me, the reality that God has given me. Folks, that's wisdom. That's real wisdom. The grief, the job loss, Meaningless work, loneliness, divorce, that wayward child, physical pain, relational strife, those are realities. God, change my soul to be able to confront these realities. That's wisdom. Poverty. How do we, how do we deal with poverty? That's a reality. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor. You can't solve the poverty problem. Okay, so then God changed my soul to meet that reality. Abortion, 
That's a, that's a reality. How does our soul change to meet that? Ministry, the realities of ministry, it's hard, it's difficult. How does my soul change? How do I learn to live well in the world that God has placed me in? How am I competent in the complexities of life? And this is a spiritual truth as well, isn't it? God changes us. Here's what happens to you. When you became a Christian, here's what happened. God changed your internal reality, didn't, didn't he? He, gave, he made you the new creation. He gave you a new spirit. And so now what are you doing for the rest of your Christian life? You're, you're trying to get your soul to catch up to your spirit. <laughs> you're trying to get your soul to conform to your new spirit. That's what the Christian life is. That's called sanctification. So we're, we're, we're accepting this new reality that God has given us, and we're saying, okay, God, help me to live from that reality. Number two, real wisdom comes from real faith in God. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Let him ask God. What every Jewish scholar, including James, knows is that all wisdom starts with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 2.6, the Lord gives wisdom. Proverbs 3.18, wisdom is a tree of life. Proverbs 2.10 and 11, wisdom will uh, save your soul. It will guard and protect your soul, your heart, it says. In the book of Job, Job says, God, uh, God alone knows where wisdom dwells. Wisdom starts with God. You see, wisdom is, wisdom is beyond law. Let's just, let's just pause and, and say this too. Wisdom is beyond law-keeping. Wisdom can save, literally, wisdom can save your soul. It can, it can save your life. But the law, all the law can do, the law of God, though it is perfect, it can only condemn you. The law can only show you how messed up you are. All it can do is show you that you deserve punishment. You broke God's law. You owe God the punishment for sin, which is death. That's the law. But wisdom is a tree of life. Isn't that interesting that Proverbs uses that language? It doesn't say, wisdom is a tree of knowledge and good and evil. Because <laughs> that's the bad tree. It's not a, wisdom isn't a tree of knowledge. Wisdom is a tree of life. It's a tree of grace. It's a tree of love. God's love for us. And that, my friends, will save your life. You see, wisdom... True wisdom kind of looks like this, this picture up here. It starts with the fear of God. True wisdom always starts with the fear of God. Who is God? What is God like? What's his character? Well, God is just and God is kind. God is loving and God is holy. Okay, wisdom accepts that and rests in it. Wisdom is not being afraid of God, but it is having a healthy respect for God and His, His character. And the rest of the book of James is going to lay that out. He, the, in the rest of the book, he's going to say, hey, because God is just, be just. Because God is, is kind, be kind. He's going to teach us that. Wisdom allows us to see God for who He really is. The fool says there is no God. 
There is no God. But listen, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, no, I I can be wise without God. Well, actually, you, you can't. You can't truly be wise without God. Because without God, you don't actually know the total truth. You don't actually know the truth of grace, the truth of unconditional love. You're missing out on that. And so the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But listen, let's connect it to trials. If there is no God, then suffering wouldn't even be an issue for any of us, would it? C.S. Lewis talks about how the reason why death is so, uh, why, why, you know, the sting of death, why death bothers us so much is because deep inside we know we're built to be alive, eternally alive, right? Suffering on earth bothers us so much because deep inside we know it's not supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be better. If there is no God, then we wouldn't even have a concept of suffering. We'd be like the plants and animals. We'd be like, oh, my puppy ran away. You know, a little, little mama wolf or little puppy runs away. Oh, well. Oh, I got hit by lightning. Oh, well. Oh, I'm a weed. I got plucked. Oh, well. You wouldn't have a concept of suffering if it wasn't for God. And so the very fact that we stand up here and talk about suffering and trials proves that deep inside we have a knowledge of God. We want, to, we want to know something bigger and greater than this world that we live in. And then that fear of God, as Christians, we would say it leads us to the character of Christ, the character of God. Wisdom is the cultivation of character. In James chapter 3, when he revisits wisdom, He's going to say this, for where is jealousy and selfish ambition, where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Did James describe wisdom as decision-making, like what school should I go to, and who should I marry, and what job should I take, and should I go to vacation here or there? Is that how he described wisdom? Or did he describe wisdom as the cultivation of character, the character of Christ? You see, when you believe that there is a God, that He exists, that He is good, that He is for you, that He is so for you that He wants to indwell you and place His own character inside of you, that's wisdom. And that will help you see trials as joy because you know that through the trial, God is doing all of those things. He's proving His goodness. He's proving His faithfulness, and He's implanting His character into you through the trial. And so that now, wisdom becomes a way of life. It's not just about making specific decisions. We become wise. We, we truly become wise in the Lord. We can live wise lives of wisdom, a life of faith. It's a way of responding to everything in life. Wisdom is a way of responding to every trial, every success, and every failure, responding in humility 
and in grace and acceptance, faith in God. Then finally we get to this, this fourth one. Now finally we can start to make some decisions, right? God wants you to make decisions. He doesn't want you to be totally passive and do nothing. Do something. But you know how God makes you wise? He doesn't make you wise by telling you which choice to make. He makes you wise when you make the choice. Because as soon as you make the choice, you've opened up a new door into a whole new set of experiences, and God is saying, great, let's use those to make you wise. And if I choose this door over here, God's going, great, let's use those to make you wise. All things work together for the good. Now, yes, of course, there are things in Scripture that are black and white. There are things in Scripture that there are things, sin, that the Bible says, don't do that, (laughs) right? So we use Scripture to guide us. We use the church to guide us. We use the truth of God to guide us, first and foremost. Scripture, the truth of God, the church, wise counsel. We use the circumstances that God's put us in, and, and, and and we use the situations we're in to guide us. Sometimes certain choices just don't make any sense. It's common sense. We use our own abilities that God has given us, our own giftedness to make choices. And so now we're in this cycle where as we make this decision, guess what happens? In the making of the decision, I'm back to, will I fear God in this decision? Even if we've made a mistake, even if we've made a decision that we look back on and go, ooh, I should not have made that decision right? There's a lot of us in the room that look back over our lives and can say, ooh, regrets, regrets. I shouldn't have chose that career path 25 years ago. I've had all these conversations with you, by the way. I should not have, I should not, right? I I don't think it was God's will that I had gone to that school. I was supposed to be a missionary, and I didn't really listen to God, and I went this way. So now I'm out of God's perfect will, and I don't, you know, I'm just on the sidelines. I can't really, no, that's the devil talking, Whatever choice you made, God is saying, great, I can make you wise through that choice. Maybe in hindsight we say it wasn't, you could have made a different choice, maybe even a better choice, sure. But God's not up there in heaven going, oh, well, you blew it. You're done. Just coast until I get you up to heaven and then we'll we'll figure it all out. (laughs) That is not what God is doing, is He? He's using you. He wants to use you. We use wisdom like a get-out-of-jail-free card. God, get me out of this problem. Get me out of my trial. Solve the problem. Let me ask you, what do you pray for? If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Pray, right? Pray. What's on your prayer list? God, please heal Grandma. God, please change my boss's attitude. God, please make my pastor a better preacher. (laughs) God, please let my wife not be so... (laughs) God, please bring my wayward children back to the Lord. All fine and good. But what about wisdom? What about, hey, God, even if you don't do any of those things, make me wise. Make me fear you. Teach me to fear you. Fill my heart with the character of Christ. 
Maybe you're not going to get me out of this job, this nowhere job, or this overly stressful job, but God, give me the character of Jesus while I'm there. God, maybe my boss is going to be a jerk forever and ever, amen, and, but give me your character while I'm there. God, maybe, maybe I'm going to be anxious or depressed or, or my knees are going to hurt. Maybe I'm going to have this arthritis for a long, long time, but give me your character through the middle of it. God, maybe my marriage is always going to be button heads, but God, give me your character. Let me fear you in the midst of it. See, we, we judge our prayer lives on how many of those prayers that we can check off. God answers prayer. He's healed. God answers prayer. My, my child came back to church. God answers prayer. But what about the silence? What about when God is silent? Is he still answering prayer? Could it be that in the silence he's making you wise? Could it be that when God shuts his mouth, he's asking you to trust him and conform to the character of Christ, even when he's not giving you a game plan with step-by-step instructions? Could that be? I think it could. Why do we ask God? Because he gives generously to all without reproach. It literally says, he is the generous God. He is the generous God who gives without reproach, without, ah, oh, are you asking again, Brady? I, I just handed out wisdom last week. You have used up all your wisdom points. If you weren't such a dummy, I would not have to keep giving you wisdom. Is that how God deals with us? Now, do you understand that God loves giving you wisdom? <laughs> Listen, if you're praying for God, God will always say yes. God, I want you. I want to know you, fear you, love you, trust you, and I want to be like Jesus. If that's your prayer life, I promise you as your pastor, the answer to that prayer is always yes. Yes, I will do that. And he loves to do it. He's really good at it. it the word generously literally is single-minded. James is using a little play on words. God is single-minded. Don't you be double-minded right? That's what he'll say next. Don't be the double-minded man because God is the single-minded God. It means, it means when you ask God for wisdom, he's laser-focused on it. All I'm doing today is giving Mark wisdom. And you know what else he's saying? He's saying, guess what? Your two best friends, Jesus and Holy Spirit, they've been, at, they've been praying for you all along. They've been praying for you all along with groanings that can't be uttered. So when you come to God and ask for wisdom, he, his response is, I'm glad you're on board. I'm glad you're on board. The, the Trinity's been doing this for you all along. I'm glad you finally figured it out. Jump in. Jump in. That's what God's doing. How do we ask? We ask in faith. Ask in faith. Real faith. Real faith is not convincing ourselves that God will do something. If I believe more, God will do it. And, and real faith is not convincing God to do something. That's not what faith is. Faith is being convinced that God is doing something. 
God has promised you that He is doing something in your life. In, in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, wisdom is connected to the Holy Spirit. And James would know that. When James would know that. When James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. He knows that all his Jewish readers are going to think, yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom. The Spirit of wisdom. You know, Paul calls him that. I pray that you will all have the Spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, Christians in the room, Christians, let me ask you this question. If you are a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit? Okay, a tenth of us do. So, <laughs> Christians, if you, have the Holy, if you are a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes. yes. Do you therefore have wisdom? Yes. Yes. God is saying to us, look, you have to be convinced. Here's, here's how wisdom plays out. You have to be convinced that you have the Spirit. You have to be convinced that you have me. You have to be convinced that I'm already doing something for you. We pray like, God, come through for me. God, give me a victory. God, bring me my miracle. And God's up in heaven going, I already did that. <laughs> it's called the cross. At the cross, you got everything you're going to get. You got access to all wisdom. We have to learn. Here's what being wise means as a Christian. Being wise means that we have to trust the slow, gradual process of God changing my life. Not like, God zapped me with a miracle. I'm ready. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is, God... I'm walking through some hard stuff, and I get it. You're changing me. And I confess, it's really, really hard, and it's really, really slow because I'm really, really stupid sometimes. But I trust you. I trust you. And then we stand. We trust the slow, gradual process of spiritual maturity, and we stand like we learned last week. Stand. We hyperstand. We endure. We're steadfast. I want to know Christ. I want to become like him in his death and in his resurrection, Paul said. Number three. I have four points, by the way. This is number three. Beware of living a double-minded life. Here's our warning in the passage. James says, don't doubt with no doubting. This is literally a quote from his big brother, Jesus. In Matthew 21, Jesus said, believe without doubting. And if you believe, whatever you ask for, you will get it. Those are the words of Jesus. And here in James 1, James is explaining to us what his big brother meant. Whatever you ask for is not your new car. It's not that your 401k will double this year. Whatever you ask for is wisdom. James is, James is explaining it to us. This, this is what my big brother meant. This is what Jesus meant. He said, if you believe without doubting, if you ask for wisdom, you will get it. Every single time you're going to get it. The word doubt here is not like, I'm not sure. The word doubt here means to dispute or argue or contend. And James isn't even saying that you're arguing with God. He's describing someone who's arguing with themselves, the double-minded man. Who's argu the argument is inside of me. It's not, this is not James saying, you can't stand in front of God and say, God, I don't understand or why, God, or, or I'm not sure what you're doing, God. If that was what James was saying, it would contradict 
literally a thousand other places in Scripture, wouldn't it? Here's what James is saying. This isn't, the, this isn't the person who looks at God and says, I don't understand you, God. This is the person who looks at God and says, I don't even want you, God. I don't need you. I got this. That's the double-minded Christian who one minute is begging for God, and then the next minute is like, God, eh. Does he really come through for me? I don't think he does. I think I can do this without him. That's the double-minded man. That's the doubter. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. They're driven. They're tossed. It's out of control. We went to the beach this past week, Joy and I, and the waves come in, the waves go out, and the waves come in, and the waves go out. That's not what James is talking about. (laughs) James isn't saying that you're like the soothing sounds of the waves that put us to sleep at night, right? He's talking about a storm. He's talking about a Sea of Galilee storm where the wind is blowing from the north, south, east, and west all at the same time. And the waves aren't just this. They're like, this. That's what James is talking about. He's saying that's who you are if you are arguing and contending with God. That person should, should understand that they will not receive from the Lord. Listen, this isn't because God isn't giving. James doesn't say you will not receive anything from the Lord. He doesn't mean because God stopped giving. He already established that God is the giving God who loves to give. What keeps us from receiving from the Lord is not God, it's us. He'll explain this in chapter 4. In chapter 4, he'll say, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask to spend it on your own desires. That's not a God problem. That's a you problem. So the double-minded man isn't asking God. He stopped going to God. He's given up on praying. She's given up on praying. And when we do pray, it's, it's like, God, why aren't you fi- fix all my problems, God? Why, aren't you, why didn't you change my boss yet? Why didn't you change my circumstances yet? That's the double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. Number four, find real wisdom in Christ. Find real wisdom in Christ. James says that wisdom makes us full and complete. In verse 4, the, the end goal is that we are, we are mature, full, complete. How? Verse 5, through wisdom. So wisdom brings fullness. Wisdom brings fullness. In the book of Colossians, Paul says it this way. Colossians 2, verse 3, he says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. In, all, in other words, all wisdom is in Christ. Wisdom makes us full and complete. Wisdom makes us full and complete. Christ, see what I just did? Makes us full and complete. Christ makes us full and complete. I can, I can, I can change them. I can use both words. It's the same thing. Wisdom, full and complete. Christ, full and complete. Brady, how do you know? Because if I keep reading Colossians 2, He's going to say in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and deceit according to human tradition. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells, of, of deity dwells bodily, verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Wisdom 
makes us full and complete. Wisdom makes us full and complete. Christ makes us full and complete. You have been, past tense, made full and complete. You are filled in Him. Wisdom, Christ. Seek Christ as your wisdom. When I say wisdom, what comes to mind? Remember what we said. Was it knowledge? Was it decision-making? Was it some sort of special revelation? God, blast me with wisdom. Did Christ come to mind? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If any of you lacks the fullness of Christ, look, let's, let's back it up. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. If any of you lacks Christ, ask of God and he will give generously. That's good news, isn't it? If you're here this morning and you don't have Christ, you have not said, I need Christ. Remember what we said, first step is humble yourself. I have a problem. I have a sin problem. I have an internal suffering, not just external suffering. I have an in internal suffering whereby I process everything selfishly, everything as, as my success, my failure, and God is not in my equation. In other words, you are not following God. You are separated from God. You are not a Christian. You are not saved. You are not born again. You are not regenerated. If that's your problem, Ask God and He will give you Jesus Christ. And He will do it generously and without reproach, without making you feel terrible about it. He's going to say, welcome home, child. Like that prodigal son coming home, no reproach, no reproach, no blaming, no finger pointing. Welcome home, welcome home. Is that you this morning? Do you need Christ? But maybe you're a Christian and you say, well, what does that mean for me? It means, listen, maybe your life as a Christian is starting to be double-minded, right? You got, you got one, one commentator described it as like, you got one foot on the dock and you're stepping into that rowboat. You ever do this? And then the rowboat starts drifting and you're, you're doing the splits and you fall into the water, right? Because you're double-minded. You got one foot here and one foot there. A lot of us in Christ are living that way, aren't we? We got one foot with Jesus. Woohoo! When you're in here, when you're in the big room, when you're in the pews, it's, yeah, go Jesus. But by this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow at work, the next time your husband drives you nuts, the next time your kid says something to you, the next time your boss, the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, your foot's on the, on the shifting rowboat. You're double-minded. You're double-minded. Embrace Christ. Embrace the fullness of Christ. Embrace that in Christ you are full and complete. I have everything I need in Christ. Not in my life circumstance. Not in my house. Not in my garage. Not in my office cubicle. In Christ. Not in my classroom. Not on the court or the field. In Christ. I have everything I need. Do you believe that? And if you believe that and embrace it, you will be single-minded as God is. You will cease from being a fool. And then as someone who is full and complete, you can now embrace the wisdom of Jesus himself and you can empty yourself and live a life of sacrifice and service for others. 
Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, have the wisdom of Jesus by setting aside your rights, setting aside your agenda, and saying, let me be a suffering servant. Lord, let me, like Jesus my Savior, let me suffer redemptively. Let me suffer in such a way that it brings glory to you, God, and reveals Christ to others. You see, as a Christian, when you suffer with, uh, 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 when you're suffering that way, that does not bring glory to Christ, does it? That does not make your coworker say, wow, that guy has something different. No, they say, no, that guy's just like me. He's got, he's got Jesus, and yet he's, the same, he's got the same bad attitude I've got. Suffer redemptively so that your suffering raises the dead. As Paul says, death is at work in me so that life will be at work in you. Now you're wise. Now you're living from the wisdom of Christ. Now that's living from real wisdom and real faith. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our wisdom. Teach us to trust you. Teach us to trust the fullness. We are filled in you. Help us to embrace the wisdom of sacrifice, the wisdom of emptying our lives. May we suffer redemptively. God, all wisdom comes from you. We confess that we've, we've been... a double-minded. We've been double-minded a lot this week. We want to be single-minded. We want to trust you. We want to be able to count it as joy, knowing that you'll get the glory and we will be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.